This can be played at high volume. Live and local, this is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Oh, you You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome back to Under the Dome with yours truly, the world famous CD. Hour two of two underway. And yes, we are coming to you live from the beautiful Palatial Game Studios. This worldwide, and you can hear this show worldwide on 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. The free the game 1037 and the game 1041 app. Just download that bad boy today, and also listen to us on the FM dial that is 1037 the game and laugh yet. Or if you're heading more towards Kinder Lake Charles area. Let's go ahead and move that dial a scotch over to 104.1 and listen in to all your favorite sports talk. We cover Southwest Louisiana, damn near to the Texas border. We love you here. We want to have you join in on the conversation as well. 337-706-0111. And this week is absolutely one of my favorite weeks of the year. Because, yes, the NFL's done, football's done for now, because we got, obviously, if you haven't been paying attention, we've got something looming large in the USFL coming soon. By the way, those Breakers jerseys, those are fantastic. Like, they are just, it's insane the drip they have on them. And it's impressive, to say the very least. So I'm looking forward to talking more, some USFL further down the road. But this week's fun because we were able to seamlessly transition from the NFL season and now we get into probably one of my favorite times of the year. I love the MLB. I love baseball in general. But I think once I get into that mode of, hey, it's time for some baseball on the college front, I'm excited. I get hyped up because I know it's time. And again, it's a it's a little bit different than other years because most of the time the first week of February is always going to be the Super Bowl. Now that it's kind of pushed back a week. Now we're sitting here. Super Bowl Sunday's over Friday night, college baseball started and it was a mixed bag of a night for a lot of the favorite teams. We like to cover here. McNeese. They came away with a big win. Thanks to a big home run in the sixth inning. The Cajuns, they were able to hold their own. I mean, they're playing a really tough team, 14th-ranked UC Irvine. And they opened up with a tough 7-4 loss. They had a big inning to start things off. They were able to take control early, but a five-run fifth inning highlighted by a bases-clearing double for one Connor McGuire. It was impressive to see what, UC Irvine, the Ant Eaters, did to open up the season. 
in front of a packed house on a cold Friday night in Louisiana, further proving why, number one, the Cajuns fan base is so cool because I don't see many fan bases showing up and showing out the way that they did all that often, especially on a Friday night when it's freezing cold like it was. But again, give credit to the Cajuns for looking good on the whole and holding their own for a good bit of the ball game. They had a couple back-to-back jacks were able to keep control with Jonathan Brandon hitting one off the scoreboard. Connor Kimple and Carson Rockefeller, they both hit back-to-back jacks to get a 4-2 lead, but things kind of fell apart from there. Brandon Talley, he had a decent start, but it fell apart in that fifth inning that definitely kind of spelled the end of the road for that for that game. And it was just, okay, we're going to move on, and I think they're going to try and get a win later today. And it's interesting because it's a lot of relatively newer names. And I haven't paid nearly as much attention as I would have liked to to see how it all pans out and see who's all on the roster. Because, I, had, I mean, full disclosure, I'm not necessarily – like following the team as diehard as I was when I was working a lot here, the five, six days a week, running hard, going cover games on Friday nights and su- and Saturday and Sunday. I'm not doing that as much anymore. So I'm, I, this is the first year in a while. I had no idea who all was going to be. You have to keep an eye on. You have to keep tabs on and see who's going to be stand out, who's going to be breakout. Drew Shiflett, I didn't know who he was. Peyton Havoy, your starting pitchers for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for the Cajuns didn't have an idea who they were off top. Obviously, Brandon Talley, he looked good in his relief effort. Starting pitching looked good. But it's intriguing to see how this team is going to look as the season progresses. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it all goes from here. Meanwhile, LSU, they looked good. Now, of course, they were supposed to. This was a game where if they didn't look great, the Jay Johnson era would have already been under dubious circumstances. This was the perfect game to start off the Jay Johnson era. This is a main team that you should have just stomped the mud hole, walked, and dropped. And that's what you have for the first few weeks of the season before you head into the Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic out in H-Town when you play the Oklahomas, the Texas, and the Baylors. That's going to be your toughest test really before you get into SEC play when you open up against Texas A&M. It's going, like, they're going to have a very light non-conference schedule outside of the College Classic. And this was a perfect example of that. And again, nothing wrong with it because at the end of the day, the RPI is going to be made in the SEC. It's not like when you look at the Cajuns. Because seriously, look at what the Cajuns have done. and The schedule they've put together versus what the schedule the LSU Tigers have. You got Maine, La Tech, Southern, Towson. You've got UNO, McNeese, Bethune-Cookman. And McNeese could be a team that upsets you. They're always going to be playing you tough. And Tulane. You've got a very weird 
setup this year more than any other. I think there's an absolute chance that they can be a team that probably has one or two losses on its record, probably a midweek loss or two in there, and head into SEC play with a lot of momentum. A lot like what we saw with LSU men's basketball heading into conference play with pretty much tons of momentum and on a heater. And if you're LSU, that's what you want, right? That's what you want. That's what you love to see. Now you're also kind of questioning how things are kind of panning out for this team in the long run. They put up a 13-to-1 win last night, and it was impressive to see how much they were able to get a lot of crooked numbers in. Because to start, first three innings, nobody was able to get a score. Nobody was able to get a run across. It was low scoring. You thought maybe the offense just wasn't there. But lo and behold, they were able to kind of turn it around and flip the script in those later innings with a total of 11 runs in the final three frames they they were up to bat. That was impressive. So they were 13-1 to victors. And I'm questioning a lot of things about that because I'm wondering, like, what happened? What happens this game today, later on today, which we won't have on the game because of obligations with LSU basketball? LSU baseball will have on the finale tomorrow first pitch at one right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 out in Lake Charles. That's going to be a fun thing to see because I am a firm believer in what our guy Kevin Foote has as his theory, and it's based in very good science. Like I'll say that much. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to this, and it's the foot theory because if you score too many runs one day, it come back to bite you in the took is the next. Now, obviously, I think this is a very different situation. Very different. And it's more because of the fact that this is a main team. If this were, let's say, Texas A&M, or you're in the college class, and you do some of that night one, night two, night three, it's not going to be necessarily as great. But I have a very strong feeling that theory doesn't necessarily get put to the test and proven at least from what I can tell from my POV. Because that team isn't necessarily the best in the business. In my mind. I'm intrigued to see how it's all going to turn out for LSU. Because I I think everybody's expectations, and you can tell me I'm wrong, 337-706-0111. I think the expectation for this team, a reasonable one, is one, you host a regional. It's been a hot minute since that team has hosted a regional. That's that's the first thing that stands out to me. That's really kind of where I stand out. So, when you look at LSU baseball, the expectations for them, I think without a doubt, is to win and put in some really good work. And I think there's a really good chance that that Omaha... There's no Omaha or bust. I'll say that much. There is none of that this year. And if you have that, get that out your mind right now. I cannot say that enough. I do not want to go ahead and throw in a College World Series appearance in year one. I can't do that. But I can't say this. 
they will be a really fun team to watch. And how intriguing they are, especially once they go into SEC play, that's when we can really bring things home. But right now, on February 19th, I think a top eight national seed is going to be the ceiling for LSU. And that's the absolute tippity top. I think the I'm going to lower my expectations and say a regional host is kind of where I think that's the expectations. Eight seed is the absolute ceiling. And to make the World Series, it's Lanyap, Jack. But getting to host the Super Regional, if you're LSU, that's a huge coup in your feather if you're Jay Johnson in your first year doing so is, again, the last couple years, it hadn't necessarily been all that great if you're the LSU baseball program. It's just been up and down. Sometimes you just can't get right. You you haven't hosted, I think, probably since the 2016 season. I could be wrong here, but I believe you haven't hosted for a while. No, I think it might have been the 2017 season. Yeah, 2017 was the last time you hosted a regional and a super regional. It's been a while. I think Jay Johnson gets them back to that, and then that will become the standard once again. You've got to start setting your standards if you're LSU. You've got to reset them. And this is the season where things get set in a certain way. I know everybody wants to say Omaha is the goal. But I can't necessarily sign off on that today. What happens between now and then is anybody's guess. But I am nonetheless intrigued about what happens between now and late May and we get to the SEC tournament. And inevitably, there's going to be a lot of rain delays and games being pushed back a certain time frame because it's the SEC tournament. It just means more. And it's always a pain in the neck. The Cajuns, meanwhile... It's hard for me to really put my finger on the pulse of what that number is and where that expectation is. I think winning the West is your expectation. It's almost a birthright for you since they've gone to the West and East divisions. I'll go ahead and say they do that. They do just that. That's the expectation. And I think they can do that. Because they've shown themselves to be able to do it in the past. Yes, they lost last night to... UC Irvine, but it's it's different. It's apples to oranges when you compare the two and the way they're starting their seasons off. So you can say, LSU, yeah, they look great. They played Maine. Cajuns lost. They lost to UC Irvine, a 14th-ranked team at home. You can't poo-poo that. If it were the other way around and you wound up playing a Maine team and you lost, then yeah, there's all the right in the world to be concerned. And there's a lot of preseason hype surrounding that Cajuns program. But I don't think it's necessarily as big as it has been in the past. Dex is going to have a very good team. Now, if they make it into the NCAA tournament, it's a different conversation because of the way the Sun Belt Conference is looked at. For the most part, the SBC is treated like it's got literally just one shot to punch their ticket. And that's winning the whole darn thing outside of obviously an anomaly like the Cajuns massive year where at one point they, I think they were had an RPI, they were towards the top in RPI 
and literally were one game away from making it to the College World Series for the first time since 2000 with probably one of the deepest teams they've ever had in the 2014 season. But enough about that. We'll flip the conversation over for a little bit, going back to the NFL, because I want to talk about Joe Burrow and what I saw from the Super Bowl this past Sunday. We will have on Tyler Batista of The Athletic. We're going to talk about the NBA with him. Maybe a few other things. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles back after this. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Woo! Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The Game 1037 at Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Coming to you live from the game studios. It's a wonderful Saturday. You know, I was driving over here. And I mentioned at the beginning of the show the fact that we got Mardi Gras parades underway. And, like, I live not far from the game studios. So I actually wound up driving around and thank God I turned, I was able to get on university when I did because there was a float kind of fast approaching. I was about to go left down university to get on a pony on and make my way over here. And I usually go ahead and take, I usually am driving down there and I make up my way over here. I literally see about four or five floats, and they are just pumping the bass. You can tell that it's it's getting a Mardi Gras season, and you're getting in that right mindset. And I know there's been Mardi Gras balls going on the last couple weekends, but when you have Mardi Gras parades, you start to feel a little bit different. You start to feel something. You start to feel it brood a little bit. Now, obviously, you know Mardi Gras is March 1st, a little bit later than some years. But still, nonetheless, it's going to be a lot of fun to see how it all kind of works out. And more importantly, how much fun it's going to be knowing that we're right on the cusp of a fun time of year. Because I think once you get to the month of like April and May, that's when I really just get giddy. Because you have festival, you've got you know the SAC and Sunbelt tournaments, baseball starting to get underway except for this year probably we talked to Luke Mons about that in hour one if you missed it we'll have it up on the dot com and whatever podcast gimmicks that you have make sure you subscribe to under the dome with cd just go ahead and search it on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and spotify and while you're at it leave us a review that way more people can find out about the greatness that is the fastest rising show in southwest louisiana We'll have Tyler Batista on in about five minutes. Maybe he'll be more focused now that the Chamber got through their first match of the night. I'll talk about that with him in a few. So when I was watching the Super Bowl on Sunday, I think everybody can agree. 
that the biggest thing he needs is an offensive line. He's Joe Burrow showed himself to be an absolute stud as a quarterback. He's shown that in the NFL and college. But I think he can only do so much whenever he literally has no offensive line to work off of. Like at certain points, he looked like the New York Giants after the second Super Bowl that Eli Manning won. Because right after Eli Manning won that second Super Bowl, that offensive line was almost Thanos snapped out of existence. That's what it felt like. When I, every time I'd watch highlights of a Giants game, it was him getting destroyed. That's exactly what's happening to Joe Burrow right now in year two. Now, yes, they should have probably invested in some offensive linemen during the draft. But when you have somebody like Jamar Chase, you can't not pass him up. You can't just say, hey, we're going to go ahead and go in a different direction. Joe Burrow wanted him. And it paid off in spades. Trust me, run, tell that. So with that in mind, I think it's time to start investing and investigating what the future of this team is. And I think the future has to start with building a line for Burrow. Now, I'm not going to tell you who to get. Because honestly, just get me some guys and get me some depth. And the conversation is going to shift towards a lot more wins and having this one year where it almost feels like an anomaly of anomalies for a team to go from the worst in the league to the second best team in the league just based off of the fact that they were a team that made it to the Super Bowl. From worst to first in the AFC, is an incredible feat to flip the script like that. The New York Jets would love to have that kind of luck, but it doesn't happen for them because they're hapless franchise. They're one of the law cows of the NFL, and they're a perennial blue blood in that perspective. But we look at everything going on. With the Bengals, that's their biggest issue. That's their biggest thing they're going to have to focus in on over the next few months is that I think they get somebody from in the NFL draft. I think they got to focus on that. That's your first round pick right there. And again, you'll be a late first round pick. I think you'll be able to get a really good, really serviceable lineman in that number. I think obviously you're also going to be focusing in on who you get during the offseason and free agency because it's not like what we see with the New Orleans Saints or maybe even the Los Angeles Rams to a certain extent. They're not hemorrhaging money. They they aren't, aren't in a massive amount of debt. So at the end of the day, they can afford to make a good move and make a good call by getting somebody like a like an offensive lineman, a really good top-tier guy. Andrew Whitworth, Andrew Whitworth's not going to be there. He's hanging up after this year. He finally won a Super Bowl title. And that that's something I, I want to seeing a lot of discourse about this week is the LSU versus LSU thing. Everybody out there was rooting for Joe Burrow, and it's obvious because he is a star. He is bona fide going to be one of the top guys to watch in the NFL over the next decade. If, it, if he stays healthy and his offensive line actually exists. 
He's going to be. He's going to be one of those poster childs. Now, when it comes to other guys like OBJ, Jamar Chase, everybody was want to see them win. Everybody was want to see Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow win. No love for OBJ. No love for Andrew Whitworth. I think Andrew Whitworth may be the most damning of it all. Because Whitworth is without a doubt going to go down and, as one of the like premier players to come out of LSU, and he's probably going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. He's got longevity. Walter Payton, man of the year, won a Super Bowl. I think that a lot like what it did for Matt Stafford, I think it did kind of the same for Whitworth. Now here's the thing. Whitworth's going to have to wait a while. It's a lot like what we saw with two former LSU Tigers in Kevin Mawai and Alan Fanica. Both those guys absolutely deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, but they had to wait their turn. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are, wait for it, offensive linemen. Offensive linemen don't draw the same amount of love on the whole. And hopefully we get to see this team, more importantly, these franchises realize that, how important offensive linemen are, and I've been a big proponent of that. Continuity is one of the biggest keys with offensive lines from all the years I've watched football, and especially since I've started to focus more so in on how offensive linemen look and how things are. I think in all honesty, that's the first thing that the Bengals need to do this offseason, and it needs to start in the NFL draft. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to have on our good friend from The Athletic, Tyler Batiste going to talk to him about everything going on with the association, the All-Star game this weekend, and so much more right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Missed out on the Jordy Holberg show? Here's what the Blonde Bomber said that got people talking. LSU took care of business with three in double figures. The key stat line of the night, Georgia turned the ball over 26 times. LSU took 69 field goal attempts. The Jordy Holberg Show, weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are that. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Can you dig it? We're coming to you live from the game studios. And right now, I'm amazed this man was able to come on considering, number one, it's All-Star Weekend. I'm sure he's absolutely swamped with content left, right, and sideways, especially since it is the 75th anniversary of the NBA I believe this since the merger. And number two, he mentioned to me in a text when I hit him up about coming on the program that he asked me to come on, asked him to come on during the Elimination Chamber, which is going on right now. 
So I'm, I'm glad he's able to come on with me, take time out of his busy schedule. That is the managing editor for the NBA side of The Athletic. He's from Pittsburgh by way of Lafayette, Louisiana. He is Tyler Batiste. Tyler, how's it going, man? It's going well, man. I got one eye uh, one eye on the chamber while I'm while I'm here on the phone, so don't worry. I'm not I'm not too distracted. But I, all right. First off, unrelated to basketball or anything, how have you been holding up since the aftermath of the last Popeyes buffet not reopening in full, and it looks like it's no longer going to be just a buffet now? You know, I was uh, I was home for the holidays, and I. I uh, I drove past just to kind of get one, uh, you know, got out of my car and gave it a salute, sort of a farewell. Um, but you know, it's uh, all good things must come to an end. That's the that's the old saying. So it had a good run, and and um, you know, I, I kind of wasn't thinking about it until you just brought it up. So now I'm kind of sad again. <laughs> oh, don't don't worry. We're we're gonna pick the spirits throughout this interview. <laughs> but like, I texted you no more than probably about an hour or so later. I saw something you put out. Because y'all been doing the NBA 75, top 75 players of all time. And number one was Michael Jordan, as he should be. But you decided (laughs) to wake up on Friday and choose violence and go with the the LeBron James. So you voted LeBron James as number one, right? That's correct, yeah. We had a panel of about uh, 15 or 16 writers and editors, and and, um, a a large majority of that panel had Jordan number one, Uh, but a few of us, including myself, had had LeBron James over at the top, yeah. All right, explain yourself, because I'm trying to figure it out, because I am definitely the pro-Jordan camp, like bottom line. I I will always pivot towards Jordan in the conversation, no matter. Jordan could, I mean, LeBron James could have probably 10 rings, and I probably still wouldn't consider him better than Jordan. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my argument was, was number one, longevity. I don't think anybody, any player has done, um, played at the level that LeBron has played at, um, for as long as he's played at it. Um, and we're going on, you know, 19, 20 years now. Um, I think number two, just kind of the expectations that LeBron James had when he came into the league, you know, basketball fans knew who he was when he was 15, 16 years old. And, have those expectations of being the number one pick and having all this height and to match and in many cases exceed those expectations, I think is, is something that's ridiculous. And, and number three, just from a physical standpoint, you know, Michael Jordan is great. He's a great winner, probably the greatest competitor, greatest winner of all time. But, you know, we've seen a lot of 6'6", 210-pound players um, in the athletic build of Michael Jordan with that jumping ability, with that athleticism. I don't think there's been – ever been a player who's three inches taller and about 50 pounds heavier than LeBron James, who is as fast and as powerful as he is on the court. He's just kind of a one-on-one when you look at it in my mind. So for those reasons, um, the longevity, the hype, and meeting those expectations, and just kind of from a physical standpoint, I put LeBron number one. I'm certainly not going to argue if people have Jordan number one. Obviously, like I said, he's a great competitor, and probably no one wants to beat your you-know-what on the basketball court more. Um, but I, I just think for LeBron to do it as long as he's done it and still be, you know, averaging close to 30 points a game, you know, five, six rebounds, five, six assists, I think is, uh, it was worthy of, of my pick that, that doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. So I just wanted the reasoning. Cause again, when I saw <laughs> that at, at, again, and, and we're both kids, the nineties, like, how can we not put Le- Michael Jordan over LeBron and that, that, that was kind of just my whole crux of that. I wanted to get that out of the way early on so we can. <laughs> So we can get to some actual stuff that's going on in the here and now with the NBA. 
as we're in the middle of the All-Star break. And I want to start off with the New Orleans Pelicans because they have they made a nice move getting C.J. McCollum. Hasn't necessarily paid off in spades like maybe some expected it, it would. They're, they limped into the, play, into the All-Star break with a pair of losses to the Grizzlies and then to Luka Doncic and the Mavs. I, and obviously you're still dealing with the Zion Williamson. Will he even play? in 2022 right. as you get towards the home stretch of the season what has been your overall thoughts on the pelicans and more importantly did they make the right move getting cj mccollum you know i i understood the move like you everything in the nba now is kind of having a uh, it's about having your own version of a big three right you look at milwaukee last year they had drew holiday and Giannis. And, uh, and Chris Middleton. And so I guess the Pelicans view that they do have kind of a big three when they're completely healthy and Zion, Ingram, and C.J. McCollum. Um, you know, Devontae Graham, that signing hasn't really worked out for them um, terribly, terribly well. Um, you know, I know they, he got moved to the bench recently too. So um, to kind of have another perimeter score in C.J. McCollum who can play on the ball, he can also play off the ball. Um, I get wanting to have that piece in your, in, in your lineup. I think, um, their defense is going to be interesting to watch when they're completely healthy. I mean, T.J. McCollum is not known for his uh, his prowess on that end, nor is Zion Williamson. Um, Brandon Ingram, when he's locked in and engaged, you know, he has long arms. He can get in the passing lanes and, thing, and things like that. But um, the defense, I think, is where they're going to they're going to struggle. Um, but I get I get making the move. I mean, you look at the West standings. They're you know the Pelicans are going to be better probably than Sacramento, Oklahoma City, Houston, uh, the Spurs. Uh, so maybe they're looking at, hey, we can get this 10th spot in the play-in. Maybe Zion is back by that point, or maybe we have, you know, McCollum and Ingram firing on all cylinders, and they like their chances of kind of that one-two punch against some of the other teams that they might be they might be playing against. So um, I understood the deal. Um, I, I, you know, the Pelicans certainly aren't in like a complete rebuild mode, so – um, I don't know if I would have agreed if they tried to tear their roster apart while Zion is out. So um, to get a guy like McCollum, who's versatile on offense, I, I understand where they're coming from. And they didn't give up Herb Jones, which is a big deal, I think, in my mind. I mean, um, we talked about the defense, and Herb Jones is kind of the guy on that team and as a rookie who's really um, stood out on that defensive end. So um, they didn't give up their big defensive stalwart, and they and they got a guy who's, uh, who's proven he can score the basketball um, so I, you know, I like seeing where the, how it works out when Zion is back, and, and they're not tied to uh, everything for too long. So if it doesn't work in a year or so, you can make another move. Talking right now with Tyler Batiste, NBA managing editor of the Athletic, and looking at just some of the other big trades that happened ahead of the deadline, namely the Sixers. They wound up trading James Harden. They finally got rid of Ben Simmons. Somehow, some way, right. you're able to finally kind of rid yourself of a former LSU Tiger, if you really want to call it that. <laughs> and you have him move on, but you get James Harden to come over. How much does that change the entire dynamic of that franchise in the 76ers where, honestly, the last couple of years, it just felt like they were one step away. They were always just one step away from jumping into a being a true contender in an Eastern Conference that has been wide open over the last couple of years since LeBron finally left. Right, yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, I, I, I like to trade for both teams, actually. Um, the Sixers, um, obviously, James Harden has a relationship with Daryl Morey from that time in Houston. Um, it seems like that was the place that he wanted to be all along when all the trade rumors were starting, um, you know, a year ago in Houston, whether it be the, uh, Brooklyn or Philadelphia. It seemed like everything out of Harden's camp was being that, that he wanted to be in Philadelphia. Um, so I like the move for both teams. I think in terms of James Harden and Embiid, 
Um, the Sixers have a really tight window now, and I think they realize that. Um, number one, because of James Harden's contract situation, he's only under contract for this season. He said he plans to opt in to his deal next year. Um, and Joel Embiid, as dominant as he's been for the past couple of seasons, he's going to be 28, I believe, soon. He's got an injury history. Uh, you know, he's not going to be playing at this level uh, most likely in four or five years. So, um, you know, with him at this level, you know, you probably only have another two, maybe three years left. You have to maximize that now. And, and James Harden has shown that he, while he plays with the ball a lot, he's shown that he can average 10, 12 assists a game. Um, he's never really played with a post player like Joel Embiid. Um, in, in his time in Brooklyn and, and his time in, in, in Houston, with all respect to you know Clint Capella and Dwight Howard. So I think they're smart basketball players, and they can try to figure it out. Um, and I think it might be kind of successful. I think what really hurts them is that they lost a lot of their shooting with Seth Curry um, uh, going, to, going to Brooklyn. So James Harden is going to have to kind of you know, play both sides of that. He's going to have to get Joel Embiid involved, and he's also probably going to have to be the person who – you know, when Joel Embiid gets double teamed, the person that can consistently knock down three-point shots. But um, I think their team got better. I think they needed to get rid of Ben Simmons after uh, everything's gone on over the past few months. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how those teams, uh, both Philly and Brooklyn, uh, look over the next uh, few weeks as we get to the playoffs. You brought up the Brooklyn Nets, and I want to kind of segue into that. Has that kind of been one of the biggest circuses all year long, looking at the way things have gone for them? Obviously, you have the old Kyrie Irving situation. Kevin Durant starts off the season really well, gets hurt. He's been out for a while. And then you see what happened with them heading into the All-Star break with a really tough loss to the Knicks. I, or, no, excuse me, it was a, a really nice win over the Nets. That was a wild game, to say the least rallying from 28 points and winning that one, then turning around on Thursday, losing to the Washington Wizards. It just feels like it's been an up-and-down team for somebody that's, I think, been a strong favorite to come out of the East and make it to the NBA Finals if you're the Nets. Yeah, it's been an up-and-down season. And, and what's interesting is that a lot of people forget, I feel, that you know if Kevin Durant takes a couple of inches behind the three-point line last season in that, that game against Milwaukee – you know, maybe the Nets are in the conference finals, or the, the Nets are certainly in the conference finals, and maybe they're winning the championship last year. So I feel like they weren't that far off. It's been an up and down season, not only with the injuries and the hard situation, but obviously with Kyrie Irving. Um, it's wild that a lot of people are still considering the favorite, and and I think, you know, with Ben Simmons, if Ben Simmons can play, um, you know, kind of a Draymond Green role, um, you know, where he doesn't have the ball all the time, he. Um, is setting screens, he's playing defense, he's rebounding, and he's really focusing on that. I, I kind of love this deal um, for the Nets more so than I even do for the Sixers. Um, they got Seth Curry, they got Andre Drummond, um, and their window, as we talked about with the Sixers, is probably a little bit more open. You know, Kevin Durant's under contract for another three or four years, so is Ben Simmons. Um, so you can kind of build around those two guys um, in terms of making your roster uh, work. Seth Curry's going to be big for them, and they also got two first-round picks out of the deal, so um, you know, if Ben Simmons can get back to, you know, he won't have to shoot on this team, put it that way, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And even when they're healthy, uh, you know, Joe Harris will handle that stuff. So if he can do all the things besides shooting, um, which he needs to do and necess- didn't necessarily, you know, um, the stuff that he doesn't have to do in, in, in Brooklyn that he has to do in, in Philadelphia, I think it could be, it could be a success. But they're only going to have, you know, 15 or so games together after their all-star break once Ben Simmons comes back and, Kevin Durant presumably would miss a little bit more time. So it's not that much time to get um, back up to full speed. But next year is going to be interesting for them, if you ask me. 
All right, let's have some fun here to wrap up this interview because obviously you're a big wrestling fan, Tyler, so I want to throw this out there. Let's go ahead and have an NBA five-on-five Survivor Series. Ooh, okay. Put it together. So am I picking an East and West? Just, just, just guys who could just to make it simple, East and West works. Let's go ahead and do that. Five on five. So we're five on five, man. Oh man, I'm thinking of I, I, I want Draymond Green on the on the West. So I'll go East and West. So Draymond Green, um, gosh, you know, one of the Morris. You need a Morris twin, obviously. Which one is in in, in on the Clippers? That's uh, that's Marcus, if I'm not mistaken. Patrick Beverly's in the West. Um, oh man, this is put me on the spot here. I'll, I'll, I'll take those three. Let me. Let me fill out three and three first, and then get back to you. Joel and B, my I might take on on the Eastern team. Uh, the other Morris twin, wherever he is, he, Montrez Harrell, he's over in the East. Those, those guys, uh, that would make for a pretty good uh, Survivor Series elimination squad. I'll have to think about the other two, the other two spots on each side, and get back to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, after after the show, just put it up on Twitter after you're done watching the Chamber. How about that? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, I got one more for you, and it's it's Pittsburgh centric. Because why okay. the hell not? Because the other day, Sid the Kid got, I believe, what was his, his 400th career goal? Uh, yeah, 500, I think, yeah. 500, okay, 500. So let's go ahead and say, I got this question. More important athlete from Pittsburgh in terms of active athlete, is it going to be A, Sidney Crosby, or is it going to be B, Dr. Brett Baker, DMD? <laughs> oh, man, I... You know what? This is going to surprise people, but I'll give, I'll go with Britt Baker just because yes. he's actually from Western Pennsylvania. You know, Sidney Crosby's been here a while. He's won some Stanley Cups, but he's, you know, he's from Nova Scotia. Like he's, he's not born and bred. He's here. a transplant. So I, I, I'm, go- I'm going with Britt Baker. I love it. I love it, Tyler. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your All Star Weekend, and more importantly, enjoy the Elimination Chamber right now. <laughs> we'll do, man. Thank you. All right, that was Tyler Batiste. NBA Managing Editor for The Athletic. And we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Got one more segment. That means one more take to fire off before I get on out of here. Enjoy my weekend. More importantly, you enjoy yours. We'll be back after this right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. My final take today involves the world of college football. Of course, I had to bring it back to football where it all kind of began, where it ended, more on the college ranks. Because honestly, it's been a point of contention about what's going on with the college football playoff and the hand-wringing that's been going on there has been going on for a while. But apparently, there's been no agreement. So now, we got four more years of only four teams in the college football playoff, which means... That I think that the Pac-12 of the college football playoff, you can kind of put that thing with the Undertaker and have that rest in peace because they just haven't ever been a true contender. Yes, you've had moments like last year with Oregon getting in, but those, in my mind, are kind of few and far between because the Big 12 is always going to be in contention. If Clemson can get back to 
a good reputation, they'll be in it. But it'll still continue to be the SEC versus everybody else. That's where it's going to be. And somebody brought it up yesterday. Why not just have it be the four champions of, like, four of the big five? I think that'd be perfect. Now, just you need to determine which one of those big five it's going to be. Because if you don't, there's a chance where you could see Georgia and Alabama go at it again and again and again and again. And we get the same problem I was talking about at the beginning of the show. The sameness of it. And you just have the same old bleep. Nobody's going to wind up watching your program. Nobody's going to want to care because they know how this story is going to end. It's a lot like pro wrestling, folks. We say it all the time. I know my guy Tyler Batiste says it a lot. Wrestling, everything is wrestling, and I have to agree with him. Sometimes when you have the same old stuff, nobody's going to eventually care. And that's what I don't want to see happen to the great sport of college football, especially just football in general, because it's a lot more fun knowing the spontaneity of it. And knowing that we saw Alabama Georgia play each other this season, who's to say we don't see it again come next January? But that's a different conversation. And this show's done, folks. And hopefully you're having a great Saturday. You have a great weekend. I'll be back with you. Same bad time, same bad channel. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Back at it next week with a full hour of sports talk dedicated to you. Full two hours. I believe it's going to be on the 5th. We're going to have a condensed, truncated show, if you will. But until then, take it easy. Peace.